Although, I've seen some scripts I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Lisa Gullickson, Wife Dork. How you doing, Lisa? I am doing so wonderful. I am feeling festive. I am in the spirit of the season because the season is... The 10-year anniversary of the Alamo Draft House Winchester. I swear, my heart has grown three sizes. Yes, yes, for sure. It's crazy. You know, we were not there 10 years ago when they broke ground in Winchester on the first Alamo Draft House outside of Texas. It's the first draft house that was franchised out of the, the, the Lone Star State, right? Uh, we did not come to the Alamo Draft House Winchester until Lost Weekend 3, which is their uh, twice a year film festival event. The word for that is biannual. I learned that from Victoria's Secret. Oh, well, yeah, their biannual event uh, where programmer Andy Geyerson traps uh, a bunch of the Winchester community into what used to be one theater, but is now multiple theaters. And they force feed various films to the audience. And, and they just celebrate the joy of cinema, all kinds of cinema, repertory, independent, foreign. It's just a banquet. Yeah, it's a banquet. And so from Lost Weekend 3 on, they are now at Lost Weekend 12. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been a staple at the Alamo Draft House, and we have worked our way into becoming the official podcast of the Alamo Draft House Winchester, which we do not take lightly, right? We are honored. Yes, we are honored. And today's episode, this interview with comic book writer slash screenwriter Joe Kelly, is the kickoff conversation to the Winchester's 10th anniversary, which was officially the 19th of October. Uh, but is carrying on all through November. After this event, they had Andre Gower and Henry McComas, the filmmakers behind Wolfman's Got Nards, the Monster Squad documentary. Which features the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester. Which it does indeed. And we will be bringing you next week a conversation with them. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs of Monster Vision and Drive-In fame was in attendance at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester. And then on the first, second, and third, they are having Full Metal Modine Weekend. Brad, tell the people what Full Metal Modine Weekend is, because it's amazing. It's amazing. It's a nine-film retrospective of the works of Matthew Modine, and Matthew Modine will be in attendance, not only hosting every screening at Full Metal to Modine Weekend, but he will be doing a Q&A at every screening during the credits. So if you make all nine screenings and pay very close attention to all nine Q&As, you will become one of the premier academics 
experts on Matthew Modine. Right, for sure. There should be diplomas at the end. Have you suggested that to I, Andy? I think that's a good idea. I will, I will suggest I want that. A fl- I want one of those flat hats. <laughs> uh, the types of films that they're going to be showing are Married to the Mob. We will be doing the Q&A with Matthew on that. Lisa, you'll be doing the Q&A for Cutthroat Island on Saturday. Super stoked. Love me some Gina Davis. Love Gina Davis. Love Rennie Harlan. You know, Long Kiss Goodnight was one of our still awesome screenings last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Super excited about that. Matthew Modine wanted this movie to be part of the weekend, which makes me even more excited because that film has a little bit of a... Uh, a negative reputation, and I think unjustly so. I think it is a film that definitely deserves a revisitation, and it is a total blast of a movie that has to be seen with an audience on the big screen. So stoked. Uh, and then on Sunday, we'll be doing the Q&A for Memphis Bell as well. Other films that are going to be there, obviously, Full Metal Jacket will be playing, uh, Vision Quest, Birdie, and The Band Played On, which is an HBO original movie that's only been played once theatrically as part of the New York Film Festival many years ago. HBO actually cut a DCP for this specific screening at the Winchester. Exclusive. That's a huge deal. That's a very big deal. You're not going to see this movie anywhere else. So please come out to see And the Band Played On. It's a free screening, by the way. Um, But uh, yeah. Uh, Oh, Pacific Heights. Pacific Heights. The show in Pacific Heights. Yes. Love, love Matthew Modine versus Michael Keaton movie. I watched that a lot as a kid. Uh, And then on the 18th and 19th of November, that Monday and Tuesday, Jesse and Leonard Malton will be coming to the Alamo uh, to celebrate film. They have a secret screening that I'm told we're definitely not going to want to miss. So, yeah, happy birthday to the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester. I'm so excited to be making that trek. Yes, well worth it. It's like an hour and 10 minutes for us, but I would travel across the country to partake in such amazing events. Ooh, it makes me want to sing that Proclaimer song. I would walk five miles. We can't pay for that. No, 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 no. Uh, But hey, we're here for Joe Kelly. Let's get into this conversation. Uh, He wrote the graphic novel of I Kill Giants, which then he adapted into the film. Simultaneously, spoilers for the interview, but I am fascinated by by this process. So as he was writing... The comic book, I Kill Giants, he was like, this needs to exist in many mediums. I'm going to take this heart story of mine and I'm going to also write the movie at the same time. Yeah, that's that's quite the confidence. Uh, but, you know, he's worked in all kinds of mediums it, already. Exactly. That's It's well-deserved confidence. Yeah, yeah. So he knows what he's doing, clearly, as you'll hear in this conversation. Uh, we first saw I Kill Giants as part of Lost Weekend 9, I believe. And, uh, you know, when you're watching a whole bunch of movies, and we talk about this in the conversation too, but when you're watching a bunch of movies, sometimes films can uh, blur together, right? Yeah. And uh, not to say that I Kill Giants did that for me the first time, uh, but I don't think I appreciated it as much as I did until I saw it a second watch on its own. This, it's it's a story that plays a lot with mystery. It withholds a lot of information that kind of, blossoms towards the end of the movie. Right. So it it makes for a satisfying second watch because now you're going into it and you're picking up on all of those other things because you have the knowledge. Uh, Do we want to do a quick, brief summary of what the film is before we jump in to the conversation? Sure, sure. The movie is about this girl named Barbara Thorson who isn't particularly popular at school. She doesn't have a lot of friends, but she has this uh, seemingly imaginary 
elaborate world in which she is a giant slayer. So um, a lot of her time is spent making potions and um, setting traps and doing some deep research. Um, so she doesn't have a lot of time for um, being kind to her family, <laughs> for uh, palling around with the girls at school. Yeah, she's on a mission. Right. But then one day, um, a new girl comes to town named Sophia and Sophia shows an interest in this world of giants, and Barbara finds herself opening up to her. But in doing so, in opening up this world to her, she opens herself up to uh, a type of vulnerability that she wasn't necessarily expecting. So I Kill Giants is available as a graphic novel from Image Comics. You can purchase that wherever fine graphic novels are sold. The artist is J.M. Ken Nimura. And the art is fantastical. It's um, It feels breezy and playful, but it really is quite detailed. You yeah. really can can get into that art. And there are certainly elements of the graphic novel that don't carry on into the movie, so it's yeah, well worth a read. Yeah, there's more fantastical elements. The film itself is available on iTunes and Amazon and all those cool places where you can rent um, films. Yeah, but you don't have to watch this movie before you listen to this interview. Because no. at this point, Joe Kelly is an expert at giving a spoiler-free interview, despite our trying to get him <laughs> to tell us a little bit more. Because we are, we are curious. But. Yeah. So we've been rambling on for 10 minutes. So let's jump into it. How many times can I say jump into it? I love to say jump, jump into, into it. Jump into it. Maybe it can become your phrase. Maybe I think like it already catch- is my phrase. Jump into it. Jump into it. It's not a proper podcast without Andy Chatter. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It, yeah. Like, we like that bus station feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. There's a hustle and bustle. Uh, so are you going to want to start off with the questions after I do the... Uh, me ask the first question? Yeah, yes, I will ask okay. the first question. Are we in a bus station? Oh, I, yeah. I feel like you already started. It was great. Uh, okay. Um, three, two, one... And here we are, back in the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester Projection Booth. We are joined by special guest, Mr. Man of Action himself, Joe Kelly, uh, comic book scribe, screenwriter of I Kill Giants. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Really oh, thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I we saw this film originally as part of the Lost Weekend film Lost festival. Lost Weekend 9. Lost Weekend 9. And uh, I love when you watch a film, like a whole series, like when you marathon movies, Mm -hmm. you really get to see what films really work because you have a crowd that has just watched like six films and then they're all reacting. Your brain just becomes like the human sieve. And then at the end of the weekend, you're like, what what do we have left? But then you come to a film like I Kill Giants and then you see, boom, it still, it like really hit that audience and it kind of took over that day. It it did. Oh, really? That's really nice to hear. Thank you. And uh, so, yeah, so there's our, there's our compliments. I think your movie's great. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, (laughs) kick us off. I know you have your usual list of questions. I do. I do. Um, So I was doing my little research on the Googles. Okay. Very surface level. Um, (laughs) But the character of Barbara Mm -hmm. 
was initially inspired by having a daughter mm-hmm. and parenting. Right. And and at the time, your daughter was very young, right? Yeah. And so you were kind of projecting into the future. Mm-hmm. C- could you talk you a little Google bit? Did you Google my mind? I, <laughs> I did. I, it's, it's all about the keywords, my friend. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever you had to say. <laughs> uh, so could you talk a little bit about that, creating Barbara as this kind of idea? Sure, yeah. She, uh, so my daughter was, was very precocious. Um, I mean, she was walking and talking before one. I mean, she was, uh, she still is a handful. I love her. Uh, but she's, yeah, she's, she's great. And she, um, she looked like Shirley Temple, mm-hmm. like literally. And, and older people would be like, you look just like Shirley Temple. And finally she'd be like, I am not Shirley Temple. And she would just like <laughs> mouth off to people in supermarkets. So, and, and my wife, uh, we're all very like, uh, comfortable at home, uh, whether it's you know with cursing or discussing things, whatever. We have a very very open house when it comes to that sort of thing. When I would go on long trips, my my wife would have curse night because she could tell the kids were getting stressed, and she'd be like, "You have two minutes. You can say anything you want." That is some quality parenting. <laughs> it was, and the first time I witnessed it, I was both horrified and completely <laughs> impressed at the same time. But, to see these little faces just saying the most vile things it's really funny but so that was my daughter and and i was trying to also guide her towards all the nerd stuff that we like which ultimately she resisted and and went her own way though she does really appreciate art movies which is at least i got that um like i mean you know my wife still makes fun of me for when i showed her superman and she didn't know who was going to save Lois, and I was sitting there crying, and I was like, she doesn't know yet. (laughs) It reaffirms the thing you love, though, because it shows you that Superman still works today. Uh, 100%, and that that film is just, you know, it's it's so good. So, So, yeah, it was taking her and just going, okay, so what if she was heading in that direction? What if she was a little bit more of an outcast uh, a D&D kid, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you know, when I wrote Ico Giants, D&D had not had its resurgence yet. You know, we were not in, like, board game nirvana that we are now and all that sort of stuff. So what might she be like? How would she... Because she's very comfortable around adults. She always had been. So it was it was taking that and putting her in this situation uh, that I had cooked up. And it was... Um, so, yeah, so she became the model. And I, I rip off from real life all the time, you know, when I would write Superman, the editor would be like, how's things at the Kelly house? I mean, like, why? (laughs) Well, Lois and Clark are being a little snarky to one another. (laughs) And it it would be sometimes literal things my wife and I had said to one another. So, yeah. So So (laughs) what is it like now, you know, because the inception is with the idea of what is Barbara going to be like in the future? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a new parent. But now she has grown into, you know, this human being mm-hmm. uh, how does she relate today to what you thought of when you were writing I Killed Giants <laughs> well I mean she's, she's nothing like well she's she's very comfortable talking to adults she has no problem speaking her mind so that's very good and uh, she she's super smart um, and she has her own opinions about you know she's a very strong willed person so in that realm you know she's a lot like Barbara um, but yeah the nerd stuff like I said uh with the exception of film, like mostly because I am not a great parent with a filter. So we watched Drive when she was like really young. 
That's like, a good movie. Yeah, it's a good it's movie. It's a good movie. And then it's we were violent. We, we were staying a little violent, <laughs> and we were staying in the city when. Um, uh, uh, what's the, what was the, the next one? Uh, uh, Only God Forgives. Only God Forgives came out, and I'm like, all right, it's going to be another cool movie. Let's go see oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and she wasn't 15 yet. I mean, she was really young. And she watched that film, and after it was done, she just turned. She goes, all right, well, I experienced that, didn't I? <laughs> you know, like, and that's who she is. Like, she's she's now, like, a go-getter. She'll try anything. She's um, very adventurous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think to the degree that she relates to Barbara, I think Barbara grows into an adventurous person who takes chances and uh, and doesn't say no. It's always, what next? Uh it's, hearing your stories, it's very similar to how my relationship was with my parents because mm. uh, they were very open. You know, I want to go see the new Stallone movie. Let's go watch Cobra. Right. All right. Let's go watch Cobra. And they'd be mortified and they would be <laughs> they'd be very concerned with what I was saying. They probably weren't as liberal as you were, but they let me go and watch those films. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what is? How did that? Um, concept of parenting of exposure develop uh, you know with her uh, oddly with her and it's funny because my son is a totally different beast although him and I now probably watch more of the same stuff but uh, she became fascinated with monster movies very young for some reason I, I really don't know why I don't remember what the first hook was that she wanted to see but she got interested in, in monster movies and I was like, okay, the, and only monster movies was the the deal. <clears throat> we weren't ready. Like she she saw Scream with a friend at like thirteen. Okay, yeah. I didn't want to get into any slasher stuff. So, the, what was beautiful about being in the age of the internet is you show them something, and then you can go now look immediately. I can show you on the computer that was fake, and here's how they did it, and this is what that actor was. It looked like that monster, and all that kind of stuff. So it really helped mitigate any psychological damage I was doing, at least in my head. But she was the one that started it. And, and I love horror movies. So, and, but I also have a terrible memory. So like, I go, yeah, sure, we'll watch The Exorcist. Like, <laughs> there's just this head spinning in the pea soup. There's a little more than that. Um, or I, one time uh, we were watching the, uh, the Let the Right One In, the Danish mm-hmm. version. And... Uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> so, Whoops. yeah. Uh, so good stuff in there. Dad, 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 you know, <laughs> she's hitting me, and I wake up to the bloodletting, and I was like, okay, this one maybe wasn't for you. But, you know, one of my fondest memories of watching movies with her was uh, Drag Me to Hell. Mm. We laughed, and, you know, she was scared at the right parts, and then later I was like, look at how they actually shot maggots at that mm. poor actress, you know, like, that, that was what we did. So it just became a thing that we were comfortable with. And, and my son... Was a, he is a perfect self-editor. He would watch two minutes of something and go, nope, and walk out of the room. And now he's he's introduced me to like a lot of anime and a lot of stuff, and, and we're Marvel movie buddies, you know, so blockbuster stuff. Uh, and, and now his palette has expanded. He's watched a lot of art films with us too. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just it came from their interest, really, and, um, and, and my lack of uh, judgment, I guess. Well, I always found, like, to your point, to your son's point, is I knew what I could handle and what I couldn't. So I would watch Alien and be like, this is rad. And then I would do the research. At the time, it was like Starlog Magazine and yeah, Gloria, yeah, yeah. things like that. But then I would watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and be like, yeah, no. Right. Ten minutes into that movie, or actually, it's probably when Franklin got it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I'm not ready for this. And then I would shut it off. I but. had the complete opposite really? upbringing. My parents 
parents were super conservative. Major Catholics. Uh, everything we saw had to be approved by the Pope, the Arlington <laughs> Catholic Herald. My little brother actually thought that that was the Pope's main job, was to watch all the movies and write down if the Catholics were allowed to see it. Um, but, like, I, then I had no, like... When Brad, I started dating Brad, he asked me if I liked horror movies, and I said yes, just because you know I'd seen action movies and there's like shooting and stuff in sure, it. So I yeah. just kind of extrapolated that maybe I could see <laughs> Halloween the remake, and then I was uh, like a grown woman, crying. really crying at the death of Danny right. Trejo. He loved him so much, and he was the only one kind to him. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's get this back on the rails. Oh, sorry. Let's talk about I, 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 you, well, you, you got the rails. I do. Okay. So, but this goes to the idea of. The like the influence of films and wanting like what kind of ideas do you want to put into a film? Like once you had created Barbara and you had written the the comic book I Kill Giants, you rolled right into a spec uh, right yeah. in the spec script. And what was it about I Kill Giants where you go, this is going to translate directly to the screen? I, uh, I thank you for asking that question. That's it's it's funny because I um, I only said it one time to my wife ever where I wrote I wrote the script uh, well I'll take a step back so um, at the I don't want to spoil it for anybody but there was, stuff was happening in my life with my parents and I had my young daughter and I was just like had the idea for the story mm-hmm. and and it really did it sounds goofy but it's it's honestly true I was sitting in a doctor waiting on waiting room uh, actual physical therapy and um I wrote the whole thing longhand on a legal pad, like wow. nine, nine pages, just like I had had an idea the night before, and I'm, I'm good at, I don't have to sit up in bed and write it. I repeat it like five times, and I don't forget it. And um, so I got up, I was at this PT office, wrote the whole thing out on a legal pad, and it never changed. Like, And I haven't had that happen maybe even since, where the thing comes whole cloth and then it was developing it out over the course of like three months or so writing the comic strip uh, script and then I just loved it and I said to my wife like this is this is the one like this this is one that people are going to get and it, it might have been because I had been doing superheroes for so long mm-hmm. um, so for me it was a new muscle well to me like the outcast girl with the rich imagination like that kind of character was so seminal to me. Mm. Like the idea of Anne of Green Gables, mm-hmm. Emily of a New Moon. I'm just going <laughs> to name Ellen Montgomery books. Um, Little Women. Where it's just like that idea of like, yeah, you may not be understood, but what what you have within yourself is so powerful right. that, that um, just that introspective life that you hold can be something that's... Like simultaneously isolating and rich, mm-hmm. so I think pushing like I think that translation into the comic book realm is so natural. Like that idea of like, well, this, mm. well, with a rich in- imagination, you are creating your own adventures. Right. And then I'm just thinking about the young women who, like, I'm talking about young girls who get to then see Barbara mm-hmm. on screen and like this other translation of the imaginative adventurous girl I have you had young women come up to you and say how how that character has influenced them yeah it's been uh, it's been a wonderful experience seeing really both the comic and the film because at cons the gamut you know come up and it's great because it's uh, you know it's it's young women or it's 
you know, 40 year old guys and had, they found the book kind of when they needed to find the book very often and, and it sort of had an impact. Usually on the younger side, uh, I find that, that younger readers don't just pick it up. A lot of times it's been given to them, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is sort of interesting, but, um, they all get impacted by it in a, in a different way. And it's, it's very moving. Like I, I, I've had, uh, you know, the tears have been shed at Comic-Con, mm-hmm. uh, on, on both sides of the table. Um, and then with the film, it, it's really fascinating to me to watch young, very young viewers. Cause we showed it once at uh, Lincoln center at a, at a children's film festival. And I thought, like, well, it was on after Ferdinand the Bull. I was oh my like, God. Okay. Let's see how this goes. And, awesome. um, and there were some really little kids in the audience, and they were riveted. And I think part of that is definitely like what you're what you're talking about, like Barbara, uh, how she feels about herself, how the world is stacking on top of her, and you don't exactly know why. And we can all sort of relate to that on one level or another. But part of it is that Barbara's life, uh, she does stuff that we're like parents don't allow kids to do. Mm-hmm. You got to wear a helmet, which people should wear helmets when they go on their bike. <laughs> but she rides her bike without a helmet. She climbs telephone poles like she's playing in the mud. She's doing all this stuff that seems dangerous. You know, like even even something as simple as like, the you know, the little blood uh, pinprick thing. Um, that's the sort of thing that would have been in movies and it was on TV shows when I was growing up. And it was like nothing. Mm-hmm. But we were so like told that kids audiences can't handle any of this stuff mm-hmm. that a lot of their films are sanitized so when they watch it they really lean in it's it's pretty it's a very cool moment and then certainly by the end depending on kind of where they're at in their lives the boys and girls uh i had come up to me and go like i really related to her or not to me personally but whisper to their dad like i feel exactly like her you know like that sort of thing which is like a knife to the heart and also goes yes yay um, this is why i do it Mm. at the same time and it for you for kids it's going to translate directly into um going back to like things i feel like kids are losing nowadays like imaginative play Mm -hmm. wanting to go and explore you know, letting letting friends in on a secret imaginary right. richness. I think we spend a lot of time trying to find what a children's entertainment should be. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we create children's entertainment, we we're we're not thinking we're not thinking like a child. We're thinking like a parent. Right. You know, and so often why we are kids and we get attracted to Drive or Alien or, <laughs> or I Kill Giants is because it is a story that is just being told and we meet it at its level. Right. It doesn't come down to the child. Yeah. And I think that's what's really yeah. missing in children's entertainment right now. For you, though, you have written in a variety of mediums. You know, you've got your comic book work. You've got film work. Uh, and even within the comic book work, it's very varied. You know, I Kill Giants is very different than The Hunt for Professor X, which is where I encountered your work. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, but, like, for you, like, what is... Is there a creative drive that is being... Um, not drive. Is there a creative nourishment that's different between the mediums? Like, do you get something different from comics versus cartoons versus... Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, they I mean they all scratch different niches for various reasons. The, the version of storytelling um, challenges me in different ways, which I like. Uh, with comics, uh, it's 
short of writing a novel, it's the closest to this is in my brain, now it's in your hands kind of thing. Um, and that's a great feeling. Like you have so much control over a comic, even even a corporate comic, honestly. Like if you have a good editor and you you know, we got away with so much stuff on Deadpool, especially because nobody thought it was <laughs> gonna last. Um X-Men, oddly, was one where they had a heavy hand. Which yeah, is why well, it was a huge title at the time. Yeah, and it was also why, why Steve and I ultimately had to quit, because it was like they were rewriting balloons for us, and we were like, guys, we'll do anything you want, just please call us. Mm-hmm. But um, but so I love that for that reason, that, that like main line to the audience. And then film is just... Uh, what I grew up wanting to do and thinking about like things that influenced me like Terry Gilliam films you know like Fisher King is like my favorite movie so the impact that that had on me and seeing things on the big screen you know I had a professor that always described it as like basically you're watching the gods you know like it was sort of there's a reason it works when it's larger than life you know um and then, uh, and then with animation, I you know I think back. Uh, there were cartoons that you know got me through so many things. I, and I wouldn't necessarily say like I had a hard childhood or anything like that. But having that escape, having that safe, you know, I, I don't mean safe place in the way we mean it today, but like a place where my imagination would run wild. That as soon as I could turn it off, I would still be in that world and wanting to play those characters and all that stuff. Um, I feel like I don't have that, you know. Uh, so if I can help create that for somebody, and that's a that's a gift. And it's kind of funny now because Ben Ten's been on for I guess almost fifteen years. So so now we're getting kids like college kids going like, "You did my childhood," <laughs> and it's like I feel old, but thank you, you know. And uh, and that's great. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. So they they each do something different. I think. It's bouncing between the the genres are probably more nourishing creatively than the medium. So, you know, something that's for a kid but that has a mature vibe to it is one kind of thing. I love those kinds of stories. Uh, today I was referencing, like, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, yeah. you know, um, for, for something else, which actually I realized, I, not until after the fact, how much an impact that had on I Kill Giants mm-hmm. in the just sort of building of... Her story is really, you know, there's only one male role, kind of, in the movie, I guess two. Uh, in the book, it even feels like less. Um, so it's her her life at that moment being defined by her interactions with other girls and, and with Miss Molay. So it's like, that was all Kiki, I think, in the back of my brain. It wasn't until later I was like, oh yeah, that's that's where that came from. But seeing, seeing that film and seeing things like it where you go, like you, I love the way you say it, the, the audience meets the film, you know. Uh, let the kids rise to that level. Um, that feels really great. And then when I have my dark humor stuff that I need to, the demons I need to purge, that's what Deadpool or Bad Dog or something like that is for. And, um, and comics are great for that because I don't have to wait for an executive who is nervous about whether or not this is going to fit in their slate or define their whatever to green light something and put a lot of money behind it, etc. So, Do you f- prefer creatively to work like a lot of irons in the fire at the same time kind of thing? Or would you rather like go like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create Barbara. I'm going to write I kill giants. And then I'm going to follow, like, I'm going to go down this particular creative road until, until it stops. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, 
that horrible person that uh, the grass is always greener in whichever <laughs> version I'm in. Yeah. And, I, and I'll complain about this to my friends all the time. If we have 10 things happening, I just go, you know, it would just be so good to just be on one thing. Like, can't we just do it? Then you're on one thing. and like, oh, man, I really wish there were six things. Just And you sort of learn. I find that a lot of people, uh, writers I know, you have your primary project and then you have a secondary or a tertiary project that just to keep your brain from going to Twitter, yeah. you go, oh, you know what? I'm stuck here. I'll go do that. And then you move that. But, um, like... I read that, like, when you started being approached about your spec script of I Kill Giants, you're like, well, this idea is precious, and I, I'm the yeah. only person who gets to yeah, touch this idea. <laughs> and so I think that's interesting where it's like you, you also work on, like, all of these other kinds of collaborative mediums where out of necessity, like, it's going to be it's going to have everybody's fingerprints right. all over this, it. This, don't so, touch. Yeah, so right. so what made this story in particular very special? Uh, partly, I was lucky enough to, uh, because it had existed as a comic and I had those kind of interactions um, with people, I knew that I, I, had, I had hit something that I just didn't want anybody to mess up. Yeah. If it was going to get messed up, it would be by me. Mm -hmm. and that, that was okay. Um, and, uh, and like I said, when I said to my wife, like, this is the one, um, you know, it wasn't like any prophetic vision or anything. It was just like, I knew that it was so close to me and I felt like it would resonate. So I had to protect it. Mm -hmm. And luckily the producers that came on board early got that. And then when it, when I had to say that to Chris Columbus, that was a little intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do want to get to that. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but once Chris signed off on it, then it was like a, a done deal, which was cool because then and everybody who subsequently came was like, well, Chris already said Joe's writing it and that, and that was it. And then it got to the point where like they were calling me from Belgium and they'd be like, what do we write on this sign? And I'm like, why are you asking me? No, you're the writer. You're the only one. Because Chris said so. Yeah, exactly. It was really funny. Well, so how do you convince him? How do you convince Chris Columbus that you're the guy? Yeah, so I was, I was lucky enough that uh, in that development process of doing the spec script, I wrote the spec. I wanted to know if it was a good sample. I sent it to a good friend of ours who at the time was at Nickelodeon and liked the same stuff I did. Same thing, the same idea of you can write up for kids. And uh, she gave me a lot of great notes. I put those into the script and then also put them into the comic. And that went back and forth oh, for a while. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, and then when the comic was printed, this is a little inside baseball, but because they were taking a risk, Image was taking a risk on this kind of strange little book, every chapter had to be 24 pages exactly because what they did was they overprinted the guts of the book and mm -hmm. then they just bound them for a trade. So it saved money. Yeah. So then I had to go back into the comic script, and then I could put stuff in from the movie script. You know, so it was a development process. So I probably wrote it six or seven times before they ever read it. So once um, Chris's development executive, uh, Michelle, had, had seen it, she gave it to him. He liked it. And then I said, well, there's a script already. And I sent the script. And the script was a pretty direct adaptation. Mm -hmm. And so they knew I could write. And then when we talked about it, and I, and I did say, I really, I, I understand you like to write on the things you direct, but I'm really, I really want it to just be me. Uh, and he's like, well, can I give you notes? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then all the notes were about how to basically not break the movie uh, and how to keep the questions about what's going on with Barbara afloat 
which for some reason don't bother people in a comic. Mm-hmm. You know, because there are things that happen in the comic that just work. Uh, you know, like there's a, a scene that I don't, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but like there's a scene in the comic where she has armor all of a sudden. Right. And she gets punched and the armor disappears. If we film that live, you would just go like, well, where's the armor? And if nobody says anything, then that was in her head. Mm-hmm. And if we do say something, mm-hmm. then where the hell did the armor come from? Interesting. You know, like, yeah, and, and I, that hadn't even hit me. Yeah. So so Chris gave those kinds of notes, and Anders did the same thing. I mean, the, he was very, because Anders has a, he's a great imagination. He's a comic book artist mm-hmm. also. And um, he was like, you know, in his nice Danish way, like, Joe, I'm sorry, but you have to cut this part. And I'd be like, what do you mean? And then... Mm-hmm. That's fascinating because you don't often think about how you read a comic versus how you watch a film. Well, I find it super interesting that these two, because like in my mind, like from what I'd read, I was like, okay, well, you wrote the comic and then you wrote the thing. But the the idea that these two scripts are happening concurrently, like, like it's really, but it's it's really interesting because it goes back to that idea is like the precious thing is not the comic or the film. The precious thing is the character, mm-hmm. right? The story, right. And so, like, it's a matter of translating the character in a way that speaks in all mediums. You, staying true to that. Do character. you think of it as two different pieces of art? Yeah, I feel like they're comp- they're complementary because they're the things that we when we took stuff out of the film. We replaced it, you know, from the beginning. The very first time anybody was interested in, in I Kill Giants as a film, the first question was, can there be more giants? No. <laughs> like, many, many times. And I was just like, oh. You know, and, and I, would, I would go, no, there really can't. You know, and when we started pulling some of these things, these elements out, we replaced them with, we, you know, there are more giants in, in the film than there are in the comic. Um, but I felt like it was fair. I felt like it was still, they still served the same role, mm-hmm. um, which all had to do with externalizing things that would happen internally for Barbara. Whether or not it's fantasy or real doesn't matter. It's how I would, I would treat any character, right? Because we want to build thematically from the things that they're fo- focused on and what, am I really, what story are we really trying to tell, which to your point is what the thing's really about. So I care more about the themes and the story than I do about its execution Medium necessarily. Yeah. So I was able to trade those pieces, but because I was the one trading the pieces, it was okay. If somebody else had said, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, I would have been up in arms. And, hmm. you know. Yeah. Huh. Well, we do have to get you to your screening. Uh, oh, we're, 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 we're super excited to share it with Film Club. I'm curious to see how many people were at that last weekend nine screening too. I'm betting a I'm betting a ton. Bet this is going to be a second watch for a lot oh, of people. That that very, that's very screening. we've talked to a few of them already. <laughs> um, but Joe, before we get out of here, uh, I just want to give you an opportunity because you have many uh, you know irons in the fire. Like what, what what should we be excited about in the in the world of Joe Kelly right now? Oh, that's uh, that makes my life son so much more exciting than it really is. Um, well, uh, Marvel just announced I'm, I'm writing uh, the last Deadpool story, quote unquote. Uh, they have a sort of series coming out. I think like this Captain America book. There's a few of them. So mine, I'm doing Deadpool, um, comes out early 2020. So that'll be fun. Um, 
it, it's pretty fun. It's I think it's going to be a good. I one. adore like the end series. You know, I just reread Starlin's Thanos. Right. The end. Oh, that's cool. oh, it's like so an cool. awesome the end. Yeah. Of course, it wasn't. There's many more Thanos stories, but like it's always good to see like the last moments of a character. Yeah. Yeah. And Deadpool. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's it. I think so. I haven't gotten fully approved on some of the things uh-huh. that are in there, but we'll see. Um, and then. Uh, Man of Action has uh, Ben 10 is, is currently running. I think it's, I always forget what season it actually is. I think it's season four. Uh, but Ben 10's running. Uh, Power Players is a show of ours that just came on Cartoon Network. Those are all for the, for the youngins. Um, we have a show called Zack Storm that's on Netflix. The current Bakugan series, we help guide that. Um, I'm doing a new book with Ken called Immortal Sergeant. Uh, I don't know when that's going to appear. It's pretty big. Okay. Um, the script is almost done as of this as of this recording. Congrats! <laughs> yeah, poor poor Ken is just waiting for me to finish. Uh, but it's pretty big. It's um, it's uh, calling it semi autobiographical is a little much, but it's uh, it's about a father and a son. The father's a retiring cop, and he's tracking down a cold case, and he drags his kid along. Um, but he's like 75 and the son is probably me. He's a, he's a blend of me and Ken, actually. Oh, he's that's like fun. This weird, disaffected, you know, creative type. Um, and, uh, and there are actually autobiographical elements in that as well. But um, Ken is, I mean, he's a super genius and draws so quickly that it's, it's, it's a bit of a luxury and I have to be careful not to be piggish about it because <laughs> he wants to draw a little bit more expanded. He's, uh, there's a book called, uh, do you know... Um, this one summer, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right. We're both Barnes and Noble employees, so this one uh, summer was huge. Yeah, we were Barnes and Noble employees. So that was a big book. Yeah. yeah. So he, after seeing that, he's like, "Could we do like a little bit of this, like a little bit more expanded storytelling?" So I gave him like the first hundred pages, then it became 130 pages. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, "Okay, you do whatever you that want. If you can draw it, so that'll be fun." And um, yeah, and then Man of Action is always cooking up plenty of stuff and uh hopefully there'll be things i can tell you about more cool. going into well, next year well that sounds pretty fucking exciting to me <laughs> i think you got a lot going on uh can we can we hunt you down and stalk you online somewhere the social meds yes the twitter is generally the the place that i i stalk the most uh and it's really embarrassing i don't know my own twitter handle i um, do oh, okay joe good kelly, yeah and uh, he does too joe kelly <laughs> moa that's right dang i always forget because i think my xbox name is like m-o-h-o-k <laughs> so i flip them so i so i might have had i might have it wrong but yeah so joe kelly moa and then uh man of action.tv is just kind of our company website um Though honestly, it hasn't been updated in a little while, so we, that could use a, a brushing off. But and, and I'm on Instagram too, but uh, don't post there as often. Twitter, we'll find you there. Yeah. Yay. All right, Joe. Thank you so much for taking oh, the time to chat with us. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks. Yay! Good talk. <laughs> Yay. And there you go. Back in the door cave. Yes, that chat was so wonderful. He. After we turned the microphones off, I could not stop talking to this guy. He is so fascinating. Yeah. And we got into it with Deadpool. You yeah, know? we did. Uh, we, we, we talked a little bit about it on air. Um, 
but you know, Joe Kelly is responsible for the Deadpool that you know through Ryan Reynolds and the films, right? Like the Deadpool that was created by Rob Liefeld was not the Merc with the mouth. Joe Kelly is the guy who brought the mouth to the Merc and broke the fourth wall with that character. Yeah. So honestly, Deadpool is, you know, Joe Kelly He's a founding father of Deadpool and does not get the respect that he deserves. So every time you are at a convention and you see a Deadpool cosplay, and it's going to happen a lot, <laughs> um, in your mind, give Joe Kelly a little bit of a high five because yeah, he totally deserves should. it. Yeah, for sure. And so it was fun to talk to him about Deadpool off the off air. And yeah, you were you were talking to him uh, about all kinds of crazy personal things. For some reason, <laughs> I really got on the couch and I started telling him like personal stuff about my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you opened real. the door a little bit uh, with the conversation talking about your Catholic upbringing and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't I can't not talk about it for some reason. The plan originally with this episode was to also include the Q and A from the post I kill giants, uh, section, which of the is, show. which was spoilery and wonderful. And I thought I had pressed record and it turns out I had not. So Oopsie. oops, that's lost to time. Oh, well, that conversation was a beautiful sandcastle and now it is washed out to sea. And further proof that you should be coming to the Alamo draft house in Winchester, Virginia. If you're in the DMV area, that's right. Uh, so once again, happy birthday to our favorite Alamo, our favorite movie theater on the planet. Our home away from home. Yeah, much love to Andy Garris and the programmer out there, the Narangis family for, you know, making this whole thing happen. The vegan cauliflower buffalo bites. Oh my God, so good. So good. And founders, all the founders beer. Give me all the yum, founders yum, beer. Yum. On tap, just just hook my mouth up to that. Yeah, 120. Uh, so yeah, okay. Uh, next week, we are going to bring you that conversation that we had with Andre Gower and Henry McComas about Wolfman's Got Nards, the Monster Squad documentary. But guess what? It's not really a Monster Squad do documentary. While that is the inciting film, the documentary itself is more about the passion that such a cult classic incites in its fan base, right? Why does a community gather around a film? And... Wolfman's Got Nards has a little bit of the making of section or the making of style to it, but right. it eventually morphs into something that any film lover can relate to. I love that. Yeah, and it is extremely surreal to talk to Andre Gower, who was Sean of the Monster Squad, the leader. I know, because you were a Monster Squad kid. You were not a Goonies kid. You liked Goonies. I like Goonies. But, I still like Goonies. But Monster Squad, for That's you... That's my jam. Yeah. In the door cave, we have multiple Monster Squad posters. I, I look at that film every day. And uh, I, I watched both Goonies and Monster Squad as an adult, and so I look the look at them nostalgia-free, and I will say that Monster Squad is the better movie. Oh, yeah. Hands down. For sure. Hands I agree. Down. I like Goonies, too. Goonies is good. Goonies is good. Nothing against Goonies, but Monster Squad is the bee's knees. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, Andre and Henry McComas, they've been on the podcast before in our other regular In the Mouth of Dorkish feed. Uh, but don't worry, if you've listened to that chat, this chat does not repeat that conversation. You know, these guys have been hustling with this movie for two years. We first saw it at the Chattanooga Film Festival, and since then, it has gone across the country. They're, they're doing their whole Doc Till You Drop uh, tour of the Alamos, 
And that's like 23 theaters in like 20 days. It's insane. I can't wait to hear how they've evolved over this experience. Yeah, yeah we get into it. And of course, you know, Bill, uh, the indie dork, he returns to the podcast. We've missed him in this feed. It's been a while. And he brought Claire, his yes! nine-year-old daughter, with him. Of, Huge Claire fan. Yeah, because you should be listening to the Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures podcast if you are not. Uh, shame on you because you are missing some rad content. Right now they are covering the Universal Monster movies. Uh, they've done Frankenstein and the Invisible Man so far. They're working their way to the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And Claire has some serious thoughts about these characters and how they're interpreted in the Monster Squad uh, film from the 80s. So, yeah, you're not going to want to miss next week's show. Yeah. And then after that, we are going to return to our Fantastic Fest coverage as you know, we have many, many, many more chats to come. We've got J.D. Dillard. We've got Daniel Scheinert. We've got the cast and filmmaker of VFW. Oh, my God. Um, we've got... I feel selfish not having these in the world yet. I want to do these. I know, these. I know. There's so many conversations. Tim Robbins! Oh, my God. We've got Tim Robbins coming on the show soon. Oh, my God. Justin Longley, so your boyfriend. Oh, my goodness. We held hands for the entire interview and just looked deeply into each other's eyes. Yeah, so subscribe to this show if you haven't already. Follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at ItModcast. Follow the other dorks, uh, Billy, the indie dork. He's at WBDAS on Twitter. Uh, follow Darren Smith at the Disco Dork. Follow Brian Young at the Turtle Dork. He's dropping those trailer reactions. The Rise of Skywalker final trailer has just dropped. Brian's giving his best impersonation of the Emperor. You do not want to miss that. I've made it my ringtone. There. <laughs> Lisa, though, where can our listeners find you online? You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Sidewalk Siren. And you can follow me on all social medias at MouthDork. Until next time, guys, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? I was thinking of doing something along the lines uh, like this for the Animal Winchester 10th anniversary. Happy birthday, <laughs> Alamo Winchester. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> How's my Marilyn? I think it's creepily accurate. <laughs> You've clearly really rehearsed this. Yeah, I've watched that video on loop a, a lot. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's not just, like, what, what makes it so charming is that it's not just the voice, but it's also the physicality. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. you really get into character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You saw me pushing my boobs together? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>